everybody, and welcome to our brand new series on reading and commenting on the Church Fathers here at the Very Lutheran Project. When it comes to Protestant thinking, unfortunately, especially here in the United States of America, there are a whole lot of Protestants that aren't really aware of the rich tradition of the Church Fathers. We have collections of the first 800 years of various bishops, priests, and monks writing and talking about how they interacted with the faith, how they formulated doctrines, their thoughts on Christianity. And this culminates in some pretty climactic moments like the seven ecumenical councils, which Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox both agree on and hold as binding to the faith. So oftentimes, we Protestants will find ourselves in a situation where our Roman Catholic friend or our Eastern Orthodox friend brings up church tradition and the church fathers, and they wonder why we don't know anything about that. So, for a very long time, every week we're going to read them word for word, and there will be a little bit of commentary from yours truly to help clear some things up and present some historical context, starting with the Apostolic Fathers. They're called that because they were trained or were associates of the Twelve Apostles and the Apostle St. Paul. Today we're going to be reading from uh, St. Clement's First Epistle to the Corinthians. There are other epistles of Clement in what's known as the uh, Clementine Corpus. A lot of those documents are considered spurious or pseudonymous. We're going to just stick with his first epistle and hopefully get through it all for this recording. He was, from church records and everything, a direct associate, if not a student of St. Paul himself, much in the same way. Polycarp learned at the feet of St. John, Clement learned from St. Paul. So let's hear what his epistle has to say for the Corinthian church. Chapter 1. The Salutation, Praise of the Corinthians Before the Breaking Forth of Schism Among Them. The Church of God which sojourns at Rome, to the Church of God sojourning at Corinth, to them that are called and sanctified by the will of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace, from Almighty God through Jesus Christ, be multiplied. Owing, dear brethren, to the sudden and successive calamitous events which have happened to ourselves, we feel that we have been somewhat tardy in turning our attention to the points respecting which you consulted us and especially to that shameful and detestable sedition, utterly abhorrent to the elect of God, which a few rash and self-confident persons have kindled to such a pitch of frenzy, that your venerable and illustrious name, worthy to be universally loved, has suffered grievous injury. For whoever dwelt even for a short time among you, and did not find your faith to be as fruitful of virtue as it was firmly established, who did not admire the sobriety and moderation of your godliness in Christ, who did not proclaim the magnificence of your habitual hospitality, 
and who did not rejoice over your perfect and well-grounded knowledge. For ye did all things without respect of persons, and walked in the commandments of God, being obedient to those who had the rule over you, and giving all fitting honor to the presbyters among you. Ye enjoined young men to be of a sober and serious mind. Ye instructed your wives to do all things with a blameless becoming and pure conscience, loving their husbands as in duty bound. And ye taught them that, living in the rule of obedience, they should manage their household affairs becomingly, and in, be in every respect marked by discretion. Chapter 2 Praise of the Corinthians continued. Moreover, ye were all distinguished by humility, and were in no respect puffed up with pride, but yielded obedience rather than extorted it, and were more willing to give than to receive, content with the provisions which God had made for you, and carefully attending to his words, ye were inwardly filled with his doctrine and his sufferings were before your eyes. Thus a profound and abundant peace was given to you all, and ye had an insatiable desire for doing good, while a full outpouring of the Holy Spirit was upon you all. Full of holy designs ye did, with true earnestness of mind and a godly confidence, stretch forth your hands to God Almighty, beseeching him to be merciful unto you if ye had been guilty of any involuntary transgression. Day and night ye were anxious for the whole brotherhood, that the number of God's elect might be saved with mercy and a good conscience. Ye were sincere and uncorrupted, and forgetful of injuries between one another. Every kind of faction and schism was abominable in your sight. Ye mourned over the transgressions of your neighbors, their deficiencies you deemed your own. Ye never grudged any act of kindness being ready to every good work. Adorned by a thoroughly virtuous and religious life, ye did all things in the fear of God. The commandments and ordinances of the Lord were written upon the tablets of your heart. So we see already, before I continue, Clement writes in what you might call a primitive epistolary format. He's writing to somebody, and he's not getting into highfalutin doctrine quite yet. This is before the church really settles into that. After various uh, heretics like Arius or Nestorius start trying to bring in things that require the church to think a good bit harder about how to express proper doctrine. But moving along, Chapter 3 says, The sad state of the Corinthian church after sedition arose in it from envy and emulation. Every kind of honor and happiness was bestowed upon you, and then was fulfilled that which is written, My beloved did eat and drink, and was enlarged and became fat and kicked. Uh, note here, and I have to mention this, this is from Deuteronomy 32 that he's citing it telling us that he considers the Corinthian church full of Gentiles to be part of Israel. But continuing on, Hence flowed from emulation and envy, strife and sedition, persecution and disorder, war and captivity. 
So the worthless rose up against the honored, those of no reputation against such as were renowned, the foolish against the wise, the young against those advanced in years. For this reason, righteousness and peace are now far departed from you, inasmuch as every one abandons the fear of God and is become blind in his faith, neither walks in the ordinances of his appointment, nor acts apart becoming a Christian, but walks after his own wicked lusts, resuming the practice of an unrighteous and godly, ungodly envy by which death itself entered into the world. So a little bit of chaos happening in the Corinthian church, something that we as modern Christians can relate to, a whole lot of envy, a whole lot of fighting, a whole lot of, well, every bad thing that can happen among Christians today. Chapter 4. Many evils have already flowed from this source in ancient times. For thus it is written, And it came to pass after certain days that Cain brought of the fruits of the earth a sacrifice unto God, and Abel also brought the firstlings of his sheep, and of the fat thereof. And God had respect to Abel and did not and his offerings, but Cain and his sacrifices he did not regard. And Cain was deeply grieved, and his countenance fell. And God said to Cain, Why art thou grieved, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou offerest rightly, but dost not divide rightly, hast thou not sinned? Be at peace. Thine offering returns to thyself, and thou shalt again possess it. And Cain said to Abel his brother, Let us go into the field. And it came to pass, while they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Ye see, brethren, how envy and jealousy led to the murder of a brother. Through envy also our father Jacob fled from the face of Esau his brother. Envy made Joseph be persecuted unto, unto death and to come into bondage. Envy compelled Moses to flee from the face of Pharaoh king of Egypt when he heard these words from his fellow countrymen, who made thee a judge or a ruler over us. Wilt thou kill me as thou didst kill the Egyptian yesterday? On account of envy, Aaron and Miriam had to make their abode without the camp. Envy brought down Dathan and Abiram alive to Hades through the sedition which they excited against God's servant Moses. Through envy, David underwent the hatred not only of foreigners, but was also persecuted by Saul, king of Israel. Chapter 5. No less evils have arisen from the same source in the most recent time. The martyrdom of Peter and Paul. But not to dwell upon ancient examples, let us come to the most recent spiritual heroes. Let us take the noble examples furnished in our own generation. Through envy and jealousy, the greatest and most righteous pillars of the church have been persecuted and put to death. Let us set before our eyes the illustrious apostles. Peter, through unrighteous envy, endured not one or two, but numerous labors, and when he had at length suffered martyrdom, departed to the place of glory due to him. Owing to envy, Paul also obtained the reward of patient endurance, after being seven times thrown into captivity, compelled to flee and stoned. 
After preaching both in the East and West, he gained the illustrious reputation due to his faith, having taught righteousness to the whole world, and come to the extreme limit of the West and suffered martyrdom under the prefects. Thus he was removed from the world and went into the holy place, having proved himself a striking example of patience. So here, St. Clement is telling the Corinthian church, you yourselves know the, the pain of envy and jealousy. It killed St. Peter and St. Paul. But note here that he calls them both pillars of the church, which our Roman Catholic friends are going to disagree with here. They're going to say, well, no, it's just St. Peter. For St. Clement, it seems that St. Paul was equal in some sense to Peter regarding his activity in the church. Your friends might say Peter is the foundation, the, the rock on which the church is built. But here, him and St. Paul are called pillars. Curious. Let's read from chapter 6. Continuation, several other martyrs. To these men who spent their lives in the practice of holiness, there is to be added a great multitude of the elect who, having through envy endured many indignities and tortures, furnished us with a most excellent example. Through envy those women, the denied, the Dirkai, being persecuted, after they had suffered terrible and unspeakable torments, finished the course of their faith with steadfastness, and though weak in body, received a noble reward. Envy has alienated wives from their husbands, and it changed that saying of our father Adam, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Envy and strife have overthrown great cities and rooted up mighty nations. Chapter 7. An Exhortation to Repentance These things, beloved, we write unto you, not merely to admonish you of your duty, but also to remind ourselves. For we are struggling on the same arena, and the same conflict is assigned to both of us. Wherefore, let us give up vain and fruitless cares, and approach to the glorious and venerable rule of our holy calling. Let us attend to what is good, pleasing and acceptable in the sight of him who formed us. Let us look steadfastly to the blood of Christ, and see how precious that blood is to God, which, having been shed for our salvation, has set the grace of repentance before the whole world. Let us turn to every age that has passed, and learn that from generation to generation the Lord has granted a place of repentance to all such as would be converted unto him. Noah preached repentance, and as many as listened to him were saved. Jonah proclaimed destruction to the Ninevites, but they, repenting of their sins, propitiated God by prayer and obtained salvation, although they were aliens to the covenant of God. Note here, real quick outside of the reading, that some of their wording can be interpreted in one way or another. From our uh, Orthodox and Catholic friends, they would say, you see, Christ himself, through his passion, gave people the grace of repentance meaning you can clean up your life and obtain salvation, as he mentions Jonah and the Ninevites. 
But others might point out that the word repentance is metanoia, a changing of the mind, which leads to faith that is saving. Unfortunately, since that's not the topic that Clement is speaking on, he's not giving us a lecture on soteriology at the moment, his words do remain a little fuzzy, and we'll notice that as we move forward in the Apostolic Fathers. But chapter 8 says, Continuation Respecting Repentance The ministers of the grace of God have, by the Holy Spirit, spoken of repentance, and the Lord of all things has himself declared with an oath regarding it, As I live, saith the Lord, I desire not the death of the sinner, but rather his repentance. Adding, moreover, this gracious declaration, Repent, O house of Israel, of your iniquity. Say to the children of my people, Though your sins reach from earth to heaven, and though they be redder than scarlet and blacker than sackcloth, yet if ye turn to me with your whole heart, and say, Father, I will listen to you as to a holy people. And in another place he speaks thus, Wash you and become clean. Put away the wickedness of your souls from before mine eyes. Cease from your evil ways and learn to do well. Seek out judgment. Deliver the oppressed. Judge the fatherless and see that justice is done to the widow. And come, let us reason together. He declares, though your sins be like crimson, I will make them white as snow. Though they be like scarlet, I will whiten them like wool. And if ye be willing and obey me, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and will not hearken unto me, the sword shall devour you. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken these things. Desiring, therefore, that all his beloved should be partakers of repentance, he has, by his almighty will, established these declarations. Chapter 9. Examples of the Saints Wherefore, let us yield obedience to his excellent and glorious will, in imploring his mercy and loving kindness, while we forsake all fruitless labors and strife and envy which leads to death. Let us turn and have recourse to his compassions. Let us steadfastly contemplate those who have perfectly ministered to his excellent glory. Let us take, for instance, Enoch, who being found righteous in obedience was translated, and death was never known to happen to him. Noah, being found faithful, preached regeneration to the world through his ministry, and the Lord saved by him the animals, which with one accord entered into the ark. Chapter 10. Continuation of the Above. Abraham, styled the Friend, was found faithful, inasmuch as he rendered obedience to the words of God. He, in the exercise of obedience, went out from his own country, and from his kindred, and from his father's house, in order that, by forsaking a small territory, and a weak family, and an insignificant house, he might inherit the promises of God. For God said to him, Get thee out from thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into the land which I shall show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and will bless thee, and will make thy name great, and thou shalt be blessed. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
And again, on his departing from Lot, God said to him, Lift up thine eyes, and look for the place where thou now art, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which thou seest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. And again the scripture saith, God brought forth Abram, and spake unto him, Look up now to heaven, and count the stars, if thou art able to number them. So shall thy seed be. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. On account of his faith and hospitality, a son was given him in his old age, and in the exercise of obedience he offered him as a sacrifice to God on one of the mountains which he showed him. Chapter 11, Continuation Lot On account of his hospitality and godliness, Lot was saved out of Sodom when all the country round was punished by means of fire and brimstone, the Lord thus making it manifest that he does not forsake those that hope in him, but gives up such as depart from him to punishment and torture. For Lot's wife, who went forth with him, being of a different mind from himself and not continuing in agreement with him as to the command which had been given them, was made an example of, so as to be a pillar of salt unto this day. This was done that all might know that those who are of a double mind and who distrust the power of God bring down judgment on themselves and become a sign to all succeeding generations. Chapter 12 the rewards of faith and hospitality. Rahab. I hope you're noticing at this point, before I continue reading, there is a contrast that Clement is setting up between envy and jealousy and faith and hospitality. It is noted that some of the epistles in the New Testament sound more like sermons than epistles. The book of Hebrews is very notable for this. It sounds like you could preach it whenever you read it out loud. Clement writes in the same way, especially during a time in which they didn't have the millions and millions and millions of Bibles that are in print today. An epistle would be a great way for somebody to bring as much of the Word of God as possible to a church that doesn't have that access. So here Clement is bringing up lots and lots and lots of scripture quotations, probably in part to help this little church uh, grow in their faith and hear more of the Bible. So continuing along. On account of her faith and hospitality, Rahab the harlot was saved. For when spies were sent by Joshua the son of Nun to Jericho, the king of the country ascertained that they were to come to spy out their land and sent men to seize them in order that, when taken, they might be put to death. But the hospitable Rahab, receiving them, concealed them on the roof of her house under some stalks of flax. And when the men sent by the king arrived and said, There came men unto thee who are to spy out our land, bring them forth, for so the king commands. She answered them, The two men whom ye seek came unto me, but quickly departed again and are gone thus not discovering the spies to them. Then she said to the men, I know assuredly that the Lord your God hath given you this city, for the fear and dread of you, 
have fallen on its inhabitants. When, therefore, ye shall have taken it, keep ye me and the house of my father in safety. And they said to her, It shall be as thou hast spoken to us. And soon, therefore, as thou knowest that we are at hand, shalt, thou shalt gather all thy family under thy roof, and they shall be preserved. But under all that are found outside of thy dwelling shall perish. Moreover, they gave her a sign to this effect, that she should hang forth from her house a scarlet thread, and thus they made manifest that redemption should flow through the blood of the Lord to all them that believe and hope in God. Ye see, beloved, that there was not only faith but prophecy in this woman. Ah, and they are here for us Protestants. We do have to recognize that typology is an old art in the church. Even as far back as Clement, the associate of St. Paul, they would read the Old Testament looking for more and more signs of our Lord Christ and his gospel, even in the actions that we see taken in the book of Joshua. A scarlet thread hanging from a building from a woman who trusted that God would uh, spare her the wrath to come. Clement looks at that and sees Jesus rather than just some wartime operation from invading Israelites. But continuing on to chapter 13, an exhortation to humility. Let us therefore, brethren, be of humble mind, laying aside all haughtiness and pride and foolishness and angry feelings. And let us act according to that which is written, for the Holy Spirit saith, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, neither let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in the Lord, in diligently seeking him, and doing judgment and righteousness, being especially mindful of the words of the Lord Jesus, which he spake, teaching us meekness and long-suffering. For thus he spoke, Be ye merciful, that ye may obtain mercy. Forgive, that it may be forgiven to you. As ye do, so shall it be done unto you. As ye judge, so shall ye be judged. As ye are kind, so shall kindness be shown to you. With what measure ye meet, with the same it shall be measured to you. By this precept, and by these rules, let us establish ourselves, that we walk with all humility in obedience to his holy words. For the holy word saith, On whom shall I look, but on him that is meek and peaceable, and that trembleth at my words? Now, today, we don't have too, too much time to continue reading. I hope that next week we will finish up First Clement. But as you think about these words that we read from him, we want to notice that the early church oftentimes doesn't sound that different from what you might hear in church on Sunday, or even in a Bible study. There is the word of God presented to the laity. There is a lesson given for the transformation of our lives and an urging to repentance that we may trust in God with saving faith. Something tells me that the church fathers are important, but given how Clement drenches his epistle in the word of God, they would recognize that the word of God is more important than anything they were writing. 
but hopefully our Roman Catholics can stay friends with us as we point that out. We will continue on in First Clement next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen. Thank you.